Thank you for downloading the Beacon Church podcast. We hope that you enjoy today's message and that you find that God speaks to you through it. How about that? You got me now? Oh, fantastic. Wonderful. Okay. Yeah, so, yes, hi, I'm Steve. Um, I was hoping my wife, Jane, would be with me, and uh, I have four children as well, uh, Bethany Tilly, 16 and 14, and then you would have met Megan, who is amazing, at 10, uh, no, four, 12, and my, my son, Sam, who would have been just spinning everyone around, um, and he's, he's nine. Um, but my wife uh, prolapsed a disc about uh, six weeks ago, and uh, yeah, a two-hour journey is impossible right now for her, so... Um, She's at home praying for us, I'm certain, and uh, yes, but you miss out on her, uh, but I get to see her all the time, so that's my joy. Um, so, I mean, first question is, wh- why am I standing in front of you, and why have I brought a team with me? Um, I'll get you just in a minute, because I just want to, I suppose it's very helpful for you to understand, um, we're going to be talking about, oh look, that's wonderful, isn't it? Look at that, let me start, there you go. We'll be talking a lot this week, end about story and telling our stories, okay? And the reason that we would do that is, one, um, God's taken us as a church on a big journey. So the first time, actually, I met Phil, I was a disheveled mess. I, I, when I started New Day, I, I served on the referral team, which is this team which sort of picks up any of the sort of pastoral issues, the sort of big things that come up when people prayed for, or someone says, help me, I'm stuck in this, I've done something really, really bad, help me. And they would come to us with the green hat, and we would have to, right, what do we do here? And uh, the first year I led that, um, what God did with that was he exposed a real flaw in me. Uh, and actually, we've heard about it, is I actually thought as a Christian that God needed me to help him. Okay, and that was a devastating flaw in my thinking. So when I came to the church, I, I got... Um, I became a Christian in a ski resort miles away from anywhere. Um, heard the gospel for the first time and, and was filled with the Holy Spirit and was blown away. And I thought, God, you've done all this. Oh, I get life now. And I was the most excited Christian. And I spent a long time actually finding a church where other people were like that. I went to a lot of churches where a lot of people weren't like that. So I was like, this is not for me. I eventually walked into HDB in London where the Toronto blessing was going, everyone was going a bit crazy and roaring like lions and stuff like that, a bit crazy. And actually I thought, this is, this is it, this is what I want. I stayed there for a few years, did Alpha a lot, saw a lot of people come to Christ and realised God was exciting. And then um, at the same time, I was going out with my wife Jane, had been going out for some time. Um, we had a very non-Christian relationship um, and I got saved and then we tried, I tried to make it Christian. Um, but she wasn't fully on board with that. Um, but eventually, do you know what? Um, she, she came to know Christ and we got married and we joined CCK and we found ourselves very quickly. God spoke to us. He used to speak to lots of us in dreams. Um, I've got lots of stories of dreams if you want to hear them. But God spoke to us in dreams about doing youth work. We've been saved. Jamie's been saved six months. I've been saved three years, but no discipleship really. I was just doing alpha. Um, no, you know, what was going on in my life was crazy um, in, in the dark. Uh, out in the, I was, I love Jesus, I worship, but actually in the quiet place, it was a mess, and no one really knew it, um, and I think even my wife didn't know it until she married me, and then it was much more evident, uh, 
But we, we ended up leading in the youth work and, uh, and realized that we were very messy, but we were in this church where everyone was really holy and really amazing and talked about grace and how God had made us wonderful and righteous and saints. And so that's what they were, but what were we? Because we weren't quite like them. So we, we really had to work hard at trying to be like them, to pray like them, to worship like them, to be holy like them. And somehow we needed to do something to do that all the time. And even though I had this wonderful message of grace that now you're holy, we had to really work hard at it. And so when I took on a responsibility like referral and having to help people, actually what happened there was I realized I've got to really help these people. And do you know what? I lasted a week trying to carry young people's burdens. And I couldn't carry the burden they were carrying. And these young people, I forgot that Jesus was helping me carry them. But what they were carrying, I couldn't carry for a day. And they were carrying for life. And I've been carrying for years, some of them. And yet they were doing better than I was. And I had a big burnout. And God spoke to me on sofas for a number of weeks and told me, do you get it now? It's really not about you. But actually, I want you. I want to use you. And at that point, I realized it's not about me. It's about Jesus. So we've been seeing he is greater. He is greater. Actually, when you fully understand that and that we are not, but somehow he still wants to use you to bring his greatness. When you, when you actually get that, it is incredible releasing. So someone's saying, I don't know how you do that referral thing. I don't know how you do that. All these issues and all these massive, difficult things come to you. And I'm like, but I don't worry anymore. Because what I know is, well, Jesus can do that. Jesus can do that. And you know, the more I've done, we've done it 13 years now, I come to young people who may have been raped or terribly abused or are in a really nightmare situation where they've done something totally legal or totally bad and they don't know how to go with that or they're going home to just a mess and you think but do you know Jesus? And they do. Do you think Jesus can make a difference? Yes he can. And then I see him a year time and two years time and Jesus has been faithful to them and, and actually they come back as leaders and then some of them, you know, doing 30 years 13 years, some of them have come back elders and elders, wives, and leaders, just because Jesus has done it. So then when these things come to me and my team, they come to my team, I go, don't worry, Jesus has got this. This is what he does. He takes that story and he transforms it. And so I don't carry it anymore. And so as long as I've got people who love Jesus and know that themselves, I know that a new day, it doesn't matter what comes through the door, we're going to help them. But the only way we're going to help them is say, Jesus can do this for you. So that was a big lesson for me. And um, I think over that time, also what happened at that burnout is um, I learned that lesson. I also learned, um, we got exposed to a thing called redemption, uh, redemption groups. Some of you may have heard a little bit of rumblings about it. Um, just to be very clear with you this weekend, we're not going to make you do redemption groups because that would be terrible. Okay? What we're going to do is, um, Joel explain, explains our redemption groups like um, small group life, is um, and sharing the gospel with one another and asking each other, um, doing life with one another and small group is like um, drinking a latte, okay? I, I love coffee, so coffee analogies come out on me a lot, okay? But it's like a nice coffee, okay? Redemption is, is a complete double espresso, okay? You, you come into that experience of a group and it just, whoa, 
okay? And it's big. And what we've done is we really share our lives and we put lots of um, safety around it. We, um, this team I have with me, who have helped pioneer it with me, and my wife Jane, they keep it safe. So whatever comes up, we know we've got people to talk to and, and, and it's safe and it's confidential and it's good, okay? But what we're going to do this weekend is try and do something that's a bit like it, okay? And really, it'll be at your own pace. So um, I just want to say that... So what happens, we started doing this redemption course, and at the time, we had an amazing counselling department. So what would happen as an elder with me is people would come to me and say, I've got a real problem. And I go, okay, tell me. And they go, I can't tell you. I need to tell John Hosier, who at the time was the super elder, or Terry Virgo, because you are not enough for me. (laughs) Okay? I'm an elder. Yeah, no, but even then, you're, you're just a junior elder. You're a bit of a fool on the quiet, which is true. You're a bit of a fool. I've seen you. I've seen you walk, fall, into a, fall downstairs and walk into doors. So I, I don't want you. I want John Hosier because he knows the Bible. Or I want Dave Fillingham because he delivers people. Or I want Terry Virgo because he's just amazing. Um, so you're not enough. Or I need a counsellor. I need a trained counsellor because they are the only person who is qualified to deal with this problem. So what that meant was we had some very busy, quite exhausted counsellors who seemed to be the deposit of everyone's troubles over here, or some very, very busy elders over here, but that was it. And then we started doing this redemption group, and when we started getting people to share their stories, we realised everyone's carrying really big things all the time but they haven't found a place to share it. They don't go to a counsellor because, well, I can't go to a counsellor and I certainly can't share it with an elder. It's not that big. But actually, it was having huge impacts on life and suddenly they were sharing in these groups and what was happening is they were feeling better for it. In fact, Jesus was coming into it and they were feeling freer and stronger to deal with it. They realised God was in it. And so when we started realising, we realised, actually, we need to do this more. And there were people in our church Amazing people, people I thought were super holy, who carried real shame, really difficult things, and had been for 20, 30 years, you know, just really. And when they shared it in the group, they would sit up straighter, they would stand taller, and their voices would get stronger. And on a Sunday, they would go from this to that. Maybe over eight weeks maybe over a couple of years, but the transformation was evident. So we actually stopped our counselling department, and what we did was we took our best counsellors and we built a team, and we started redemption groups, and we actually started a culture where we start sharing stories, okay? And this is the team that I've brought for this weekend, okay? So, yeah, great. Good, because that's really digging in my ear. It's like a crown of thorns, yeah. Oh, what's going to happen here? What are you doing to me? Owen. Oh, yeah, you're right to go there, yeah? Okay, great, okay. Let's see. We're very, we don't mind intimacy here, that's good. Um, so I'd like to introduce the team, okay? Um, on, my, on my right here, far right is Pete and Jack, Jarvis, stand up. So they've been in the church for about 70 years. 
we were talking earlier, they've been trained by every, every amazing gift that's come to CCK, they've been trained by and learned from, um, and they have been an incredible blessing. They're like pillars in our church, okay? And they keep me sane, and they look after me, and I'm a big load, so they're amazing. And then the other couple that do that m- massive job are, are Chris and Christine Kidja. So these guys will be doing some of the speaking this weekend, but actually our gift, what we do when we're at CCK is we spend most of our time talking to people, sharing our story and listening to their stories. And that's what we're here for this weekend. Okay, You will probably get most by having a conversation with us out of something we've said at some point this weekend than maybe from us standing and teaching you. Does that make sense? Because that's who we are. So if any point, anything comes up, you think, I want to talk to them, that's what we're here for, okay? And we're here all weekend. I'm also, uh, we've got a carload of other guys come up who also help me with redemption and our, what we call referral teams, which is our sort of trained team who just sit down and listen to people. That's what we do, okay? For about six weeks, we meet people a few times, listen to their story, listen to where God can help them and pray with them. And think, amazingly, God seems to do things in people's lives when we do that. So the, there's, a, there's a, a team of people coming up tomorrow as well. And again, they're also great at listening and praying for you. Okay, so that's what we're offering here. Um, and I just want to very quickly, just I know you've been looking at redemption and the theme of redemption. And I know um, uh, Josh and Ruth shared story and a bit of story with you um, the other week as well. So I know Josh did that. But I just, I just want to just re-emphasize why story is so important. So... Our goal, in a sense, this weekend is that you would discover your story. And, you know, God's greatest glory is us fully alive. Okay, that is his greatest glory. Utterly free. Utterly fearless. Utterly everything that we could possibly be that God made us to be. Free and alive. That's his goal for your life. And that's when he is most glorified in you. Um, our goals for this weekend is that you understand what story is and what makes a great story. Uh, sometimes we don't start at the right place, so the story isn't as great as it could be. Often we start from where we were fixed and, and move on from there rather than talk about when we were broken and how God had to mend us before we were fixed. Does that make sense? So I want to encourage us to think about how our story is great. Understand the greater story that we're part of, which is life-changing if you've never actually comprehended this story that you've been brought into. Um, find your story. We're going to have a little bit of time tomorrow where you'll go away and start to think about your own story. We're going to give you a tool to do that. Jackie's going to help you and help you help each other as well. Um, find your story. That, what were you created for? And then we're going to help, hopefully help you to be able to help others discover their stories, not only this weekend, but going forwards. Okay? Um, the reason we're doing this is just, uh, just to even set the tone. It's great that God is already speaking to us. You know, you'll get out of this what you put in. You can only take others as far as you're willing to go. We've found unless we're able to share our stories, our broken stories, we can't be there to hear others. In fact, as we share our stories, we find people then share their stories. It works that way around. If you can't share your story, you'll not hear others' stories. It's just the deal. Um, there is some level of risk. You need to humble yourselves. You may feel you've set this real wonderful persona of wonder and strength and togetherness. Uh, can I just say, probably you haven't. And you're f- 
your friends on your left and right will say, no, you definitely are not. <laughs> but actually, you have to risk something. You have to risk that maybe if I share this thing with someone this weekend, they're going to think bad of me. They could judge me. Can I also say in this room, I don't think that's true. Because actually what I've learned, that even the most difficult or shocking things I've heard, I find myself more amazed at the person. I'm going to share a couple of stories tonight. You're going to hear my story tomorrow and a few other stories tomorrow. I, you know, when you realize what people have come through, you're more amazed at, at what they do in the ordinary. Actually, the ordinary becomes extraordinary. Okay, so, but it's risky to do that. And I want to encourage you, as you've been encouraged by God already, to be risky, to take risks this evening. And just as well, that when we hear each other's stories, you may hear it in a one-to-one setting or you may hear it in a group. It's still, it's still confidential. Do you know, it's still, the story is still personal and private. It's, it's, so we don't go home and just share our story. We, we, know, we just value the stories that we hear of one another and we take it seriously, okay? That, that's just some of the ground rules, okay? Um, what do we believe about? God is the creator and author of life. He writes each person's life to reveal his divine story. So God created you. He made you. And he's actually writing a story, his story, through your life right now. Okay? Each story is not random. It is an intricate tale. If you actually realized how God the author and what he has to put in place to produce your story, the people, the situations... You know, if you look at the Bible and where, you know, the way he moved storms and lights and uh, leaders and, and you look at church history, crazy things God has had to do to produce stories. If you understood it and even look at your story and the way your story has unraveled and then come together in Christ and how God has used different situations and things, impossible things. If you actually opened your eyes to realize that, again, it's amazing. And you are the co-author you know, what you do with your story is your responsibility. We actually have a responsibility to shape our stories. We can trust God and see his kingdom. Or we can reject him and live the life that everyone else is living under the sun. Where there is no glory and there is no miracle and there is no breakthrough. Just what we can do in our own strength. Why stories are important? Your story is a map. It helps you turn where you go. If you truly understood your story, it actually helps you know where you're going in life. And actually, I find, particularly young people these days, there's so much anxiety and pressure around because people just don't know where is this going. They're so worried about their futures. But if they started to think about their story and how God was in their story, it would bring such peace to them because they realized something else is happening in my life that is overruling it. Your story is like a thumbprint. It reveals who you are. If you actually started thinking about why was I made? Why was I put in this situation? Why was I put in this family? Why was I given these delights? And why was I given these gifts and strengths? It suddenly realized, oh, is that what I'm meant to be? So I'm not meant to be that. Oh, I was told I would never be this, but maybe I am. Maybe they were wrong. And the greater sense of meaning reveals your calling. So it gives you a sense, actually, God is using my life. It gives you immense dignity and purpose if you truly understood Actually, there's a God leading my life and using me. Your story is something that most influences your outlook, your tendencies, your choices, and your decisions. If you think you're a victim, if you think you're going to fail one day, if you think I'm going to get so far and it's all going to crash and burn, that will affect so much of your life. And yet, it's probably, well, it is a lie if you're a Christian. Actually, the end of your story is glory. 
And so whatever you're thinking, I promise you, the end is amazing. <laughs> okay. Again, I hope you understand. We all love stories. I'm putting these pictures up. Some of you are going, yes. Are you? Some of you have seen some images. You think, oh, I love that story. I love that film. I mean, it's emotional, isn't it? It just draws something out of you. You're like, oh, that is an amazing... I mean, Les Mis, I mean, wow. It makes me boo every time. But it's an amazing... You know, just stories. And you know what? Everyone has a story. And it moves people. And it has power. Okay? Stories are holy ground because we're living examples of the very gospel we believe. God is writing his gospel in your story. Um, Just to say, God's story is awesome. I'm not going to unpack all this tonight, but... If you scan scripture, you will realize from the very beginning of time, God has been grabbing man and woman, taking them out of sin and making them glorious, giving them responsibility so that they represent him. He did it in Genesis. He did it with the Old Testament, the Jewish people. He wanted to keep rescuing them, setting them apart, giving them land to, to take hold of. He kept pouring out. He would rescue them, clean them up, pour water into their lives, incredible promises over them and then want to walk with them through into it so they would have dominion and they would represent God's glory and kingdom Old Testament and then actually if you look at the Gospels Jesus did exactly the same if I just read the last bit this last bit with Jesus oh that's got exciting hasn't it okay there's my can't do this. Jesus promised that he would rescue us. He would wash us clean. He would pour out his spirit upon us and that we would become representatives of him. He said, let your, I even had that verse, let your light shine, that we were to be a great and mighty people that would reflect the glory of God. And you as a church have been rescued from every part of wherever you've come from. And you've been brought together so that God can pour his spirit upon you and bring you into the understanding that you are guiltless and carry no shame. That you are free to be like Jesus and be holy and powerful and supernatural and represent this mighty Jesus who saved you. And that's his goal for you. That's his story. And that's what he's doing all the time. But there's an enemy And because we have, can uniquely reflect Jesus to some people who are like us or we're next to, he wants to destroy that. He wants to destroy faith, hope, and love whenever he can. And you know, his best weapon, and we've been singing a lot about it tonight, is shame. The enemy's best tool is to point at you and say, but you do this and you're that. And he likes to lie to you. And he, he likes to say, you'll never do this and you'll never do that. And if you do that, then this will happen. And he likes to lie to you all the time. Why? Because he doesn't want you to be fully alive. And he does it all the time. And we give him so many reasons in our weakness to point it out to us as well. Because we don't fully trust Jesus. But he does it all the time. And I I hope you see this story that we're going to look at in our own story. And we're going to hear some stories now that God constantly saves people out of the most bizarre and crazy places. He chooses the weak, and he actually chooses the amazing, actually. But he takes them. The amazing he has to humble, 
And the weak, he has to say, come on, you're my son, daughter. I've made incredible things. You have to get over the poor spirit. And the rich, he has to say, you're not that rich. But whatever he takes you from, he works in you so that you can represent him. Like Jesus as the humble king, the mighty king. And he does that all the time. And so if you look at your story, there often are times where everything was okay. But then sin comes in. Someone else's sin or your own sin. But it shatters your hopes, your sense of God, your sense of anything, sense of purpose or promise. It breaks it all up. And at that point, you think, well, where do I go now? You often think, well, God's not there if you're suffering or your difficulty. So I need to find my way back to getting into my promises, my purposes. And in that moment as well, they can become very distorted. So I'm meant to influence the nation, so I must be famous. So fame becomes the thing. Or I'm going to make loads of money, so actually, well, God's not going to get me there, so I need to find some way of making lots of money. And money becomes the thing, not Jesus. But some way, we try to get that shalom, that peace, that success, that fruitfulness back in. And we take ownership. So I wanted to help people. So I take responsibility for helping everyone. And it destroys me. Whatever it is, we try to get shalom back. We try to get that hope back, that purpose back. And then fortunately for all of us, God breaks in. Jesus steps into our story. And we see again and again, Jesus' mercy and breaking in. We come to sense, it's not about me. It was always about Jesus. It's not about money. It's not about success. It's not about relationships. It's about Jesus. At the moment we wake up, we're like the sun. We run back to Jesus. We find forgiveness. We find peace. And the whole story starts again. The promises come back to us. The destiny comes back to us. The land that we think should have it gets in front of us. And suddenly we're pursuing it again. But guaranteed, sin other sin will come in again. And how do we deal with that situation? Do we go to Jesus or do we try and fight our way back? And we learn that over our life. And you look back at your story and you realize, man, Jesus is not tired of rescuing me. He's still redeeming me. He's still there. But the more we understand that, the more we see the con of the enemy, the more we realize, ah, oh, no, 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 I'm not doing that this time. I'm not going back to that thing. I'm not, I'm no. I've got to go back to Jesus. I've messed up. I've got to go back to Jesus. I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm going to tell people. I'm going to face it. I'm not living under it. I'm going to tell someone. I'm going to get back on and live my life before Jesus and before the church and before his people and get back on what I'm promised to be. So that's his story. And it's an amazing story. It's an amazing story in the Bible. The more you see a story in the Bible, the more you see the characters in the Bible, you see God's mercy. It's incredible. It brings the Bible alive. Do you know also, the more you learn to tell your story, what we found is it helps others to come in to, to share their story, as we've said. Do you know also, your lost friends, the people who don't know Jesus, when they know your story and they know it's not, so you're perfect, no, you're broken and Jesus, so you're you because of Jesus. So you're really confident, you're peaceful because of Jesus. Tell me more. And we're talking about Jesus now. We're not talking about us anymore. So our stories have evangelistic power as well. Okay, we're going to share a couple of stories. I'd love for you to hear some of this. So we, we talk about shalom, shalom shattered, shalom short, sort of shalom. We also can call it creation. We're all created, perfect and wonderful. We all sin, the fall. Sin comes in, messes everything up, distorts everything. We all know about redemption, this restored 
And then we know about new creation. The fact that we live in this new life with Jesus and we do things we never thought we could do. If you start to see that in your life, you'll, I want to hopefully you'll hear it in these stories too. Wow. Got it. Uh, one thing you'll find that you're going to hear a number of stories both this evening and tomorrow. Uh, each of the stories are very different. Uh, you'll be very pleased to hear we don't give you our complete life stories. Um, otherwise, it would be a very long and very boring weekend. Um, but we'll give you snippets, all right? And so uh, my story started at the age of seven, the bit I'm going to share with you, uh, when I had attended an Anglican church in the town that I lived in, Brighton. I was part of a choir. Um, and after uh, many weeks, uh, the choir master there basically got too close to me, and I was abused by him. Um, and this went on for, for several months. Um, and you'll see as the story unfolds, this sort of, you know, Shows up in different parts of my of my staff and my of, of my story. Um, just after this, my parents moved house uh, because my dad, who was a big guy, he was as tall as I am, uh, six foot two, same as me, uh, but his weight um, uh, dropped down to in new money forty two kilos, in old money it was seven and a half stone, um, and that happened because he had tuberculosis, which we actually unfortunately you do hear about that happening a bit more nowadays, but. He was really quite unwell, very unwell. Um, and we moved house and we moved on to a council estate down in Brighton. Uh, and eventually my father died. Um, we were very poor, uh, but my brothers, my sister and myself knew uh, that we were loved uh, and that my mum did everything that she could do uh, to make sure that things were okay. School was very challenging for me. In one lesson, I did something what sounds really silly. I pinched a book. So I think, oh, what's that got to do with the story? Well, what happened was that uh, this book that I pinched, the reason I pinched it is I was thoroughly enjoying this book. Um, and I pinched this book and I hid it in the desk uh, at school. Uh, unfortunately for me, some of my classmates decided to tell the teacher. Um, and as a punishment, I was made to read quite a large passage from this book. Um, as I read that book, um, all I can say is that the words were moving around on the page and it was, was just like a jumble that was, was actually going on. Um, I found out since that that was actually the start uh, of a condition called dyslexia. Um, and it was pretty, pretty horrid. Um, as a teenager, I worked hard to achieve the best results that I could. Um, I always felt different, uh, separated or, or um, separate from my siblings. Um, I wanted different things. Unfortunately, I was introduced to both alcohol and smoking... Um, at, a, at a very, uh, quite an early age. Um, actually, at my worst, I, I, I had 60 a day. And that's cigarettes, not pints, I would hasten to add. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, and I, I was in a very pressured job uh, just after this. Work became a very large part of my life. Um, and I pushed myself so hard that in October of 1977, I got very close to actually having a nervous breakdown. Uh, it was at this time I met my now wife, Jackie, and we talked, and she said that, I, um, that there, were, there was a God and that he wanted to know me and for me to know him. Now, she sent me along to, to, meet, to, to meet with, uh, it was actually a charismatic Angl Anglican vicar um, who actually led me to Christ that night. Um, and that was uh, in 1977. My life changed dramatically 
And just uh, during this time, Jackie and I dated, and we married in 1978. Um, and this was the start of God working in my life. Over the years, he put his fingers on different things that were going on in my life that were out of sync with him. My, ten my uh, tendency to find my identity in work was challenged. Um, my tendency to become stressed or impatient and angry was also challenged. I didn't realize that how much of this had been rooted in the days of, of me watching my father literally fade away and die before our eyes. A fear of sickness and anger uh, at death and its effects had got a dis destructive uh, grip on me. This was further highlighted by two significant uh, events that happened. I had a really good friend. Now, this is moving on a few years, but uh, and Jackie and I, as Steve said, we've, we've actually been in CCK since day one. But I had a really good friend. His name was John. Um, and he got really, really seriously ill. He had a really nasty stomach tumour. And uh, he'd actually been in hospital. Um, and Jackie was basically encouraging me, you've got to go and see your friend because, you know, it really wasn't looking good. Um, and I was so petrified of death that I could not go to this hospital. Now, eventually, I literally girded every ounce of strength that I had, and I went off to, uh, to see my friend. Now, I can see this man at this moment laying in that bed. He was very ill. He was so full of the love of God. And the first thing he said to me, where have you been? Why haven't you been up to see me before? Now, you can, you can imagine it, can't you? You know, uh, friends do those sorts of things. And I poured my heart out to him. Now, um, what happened, he said, well, that's not good enough. We can't have you, you know, walking with all that stuff. He prayed for me in that room that night. Um, and I can genuinely say that I was set free of a fear of death that very night. Now, what was crazy was he, what he died the very next day. All right? And on the last day that he was on this earth, he really, you know, he, he gave me one of the best gifts that, that somebody has done in actually setting me, me free from, from that fear of death. Um, the second thing that happened was that, again, going on a few years, uh, Steve mentioned uh, John Hosier. Um, I, I'd, I'd love to pray for the sick. Um, but John invited me to go along and, um, with him and to pray for this, this young child. Uh, she was four years of age. I never actually saw her awake. She was always asleep when we went to see her. And um, um, we prayed for, for five consecutive nights. But after two or three nights, it was obvious that, that you know, things were not going well and that she was going to die. And, and basically, we helped to prepare mum and dad that things were going to go pretty badly. Um, now, this young lady died um, quite nastily. It was horrid. She had a nasty tumour on the, on the throat, in the throat. Um, and, and again, there was a horrible situation, which again really fed into uh, my fear of, of, you know, sort of things that, that, that were going on in, in that sort of scenario. Um, my, I'd also become quite um, angry and quite cross, um, and it really got quite, quite bad, so, so much so that um, I actually went out and sought um, a trusted friend who is still a friend to this day because I knew that there were things that I needed to have God sort out for me. Um, and that evening, he, he prayed with me. 
Um, and God set me free from some of the triggers and some of the things um, that, that caused me to stumble and get very angry. Um, my wife, now we've been married for almost 40 years now, um, and, and wives do see the best and they see the worst of us. Um, and, and to this day, God is still refining me. Um, he's still changing me. Um, and actually, the fact that I'm reading in front of you lot now is really in itself quite a miracle. Um, whether it makes sense is another thing, of course, but that's <laughs> another story. Um, so, yeah, so, so my story has been quite long and quite over a long period of time. But just to finish on, again, another little story is that um, one Sunday morning when uh, we were actually meeting over at a building now in Clarendon Villas, um, anybody who's in pastoral work or pastors will know this sort of thing happens, that this, this young lady came up to me and she said to me, um, you don't remember me, do you? Which is a standard thing. People do say that. And, of course, I had no idea who she was. Well, it turned out this lady was actually the mother of the girl who had died many years before. And what had happened is on the back of John and I going and praying for her and her family and her daughter, she had actually found God for herself. So even though I went through a lot of pain as a result of this young lady dying, God used that for good. Okay, so I get the last slot. Yeah. I get the last slot tomorrow night too. <laughs> Shove it out of the way. Do you want us to stand up a second? Do you want to move, move yourselves? No, stand up. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. You know, actually, I think um, I'm not that. Yes, best come back. My story. I see. I think redemption's a bit like good country and western music. Now, the team know that I love country and western, you see. Country and western songs have all life in them. They're heartfelt. I love the titles. I, I baked my honey a pie, but he left me for a tart. Just that, just... <laughs> that's just... Ain't been no trash in my trailer since the night I threw you out. See, these are just all kind of heartfelt. And that's what happens in redemption, you know. You hear all of life, and there's redemption at the end. That's what I, how I like to see it. Don't worry, I won't play any country and western music this week. So, yeah. You know, I know God's going to, it's going to be a good weekend, and I, I can tell you that God is still at work in me after all these years. How do I know that? Because um, in a moment of extreme grace, as we were on the way up here tonight, I told my wife to shut up. <laughs> and that was because of... <laughs> I have apologized to her. It's okay, but, you know... <laughs> I'd like to say, well, that's the devil, but it's not because it's me. It's very easy to blame the devil for things, but I know that's still part of what God's trying to do in me. Why do I react in that kind of way so often? And why do I kind of... It's a bit like you know, the self-centeredness uh, that often goes on in us. Um, I'm grateful that God will always be my father no, what, no matter what my age is. Um, so what's influenced me? Well, going to a boarding school at the age of six... Uh, in the same town as my parents lived. That's had an influence in me. Now, they weren't unkind people, but what that taught me was control your emotions. Don't let anyone see your tears as you're left at school. Keep your emotions contained. The reason why I went to boarding school you know, at, at that age was because of problems in my, marriage, in my parents' uh, marriage relationship. 
In fact, my father committed suicide when I was seven. Um, this was never really talked about in the family. Certainly my mother never mentioned it. Uh, and I found out the truth as an adult. And I think it was about failing business. Uh, it was a failing marriage. And the kind of personality that he was all contributed to what he did. Now, there is a family resemblance between him and me. And certainly from what I've been told about him by, by wider family members, I suspect that we share some personality tra traits. Extreme introvertness, very quiet. And I think what happened was that left me with a feeling that I wasn't worth remaining alive for. I guess it was a kind of abandonment to what it was. And my mother married the, um, the man with whom she was having a relationship. And he was very kind to us. Uh, he treated my brother and myself like his own sons, but I wouldn't say it was a close relationship. And theirs was a very volatile relationship, sometimes fueled by uh, alcohol. We had five moves in three years before we settled in my teen years to a small village in Essex. There were something like six pubs for a population of around about 1,600, which is quite a few. Um, and one of my abiding memories is that growing up at, at, at that stage of my life was lying in bed, waiting for them to return, fearful uh, of whether they would be rowing. Uh, it was usually verbal, but I do remember on one occasion my stepfather broke down the bedroom door because my mother had locked him out. Um, and this arguing was a continuous part of their relationship. And Christine will tell you in later years, what I used to do was to allow it simply to go over my head. I'd continue to read the paper. You know, I, I, I wouldn't, I'd be unaware it was going on. It just happened all the time. If you were to ask me, I wouldn't have called my childhood unhappy. That's the interesting thing. Um, but... It's interesting that God was at work even then. Uh, my brother and I both became Christians in a very small Baptist church in our teen years. And God gave me a couple of uh, Christians who acted like parents to me. Many years later, he also gave me an, an amazing experience uh, of actually him coming down into the room and holding me in his arms and being affirmed by him. And that was an amazing thing. If I'm left to myself, I would be judgmental because that's a form of pride. I would be critical of other people because that used to boost, bolster my own feelings of uh, you know, self-worth. Uh, I would be selfish. I would be pursuing acceptance at all costs. And I would be domineering to cover up my insecurity. And that came out particularly in the, uh, my marriage relationship. It's probably true to say that I'm verbally quicker than Christine is. That's not a necessarily, you know, it's just a fact. And I would think, you know, I'd be able to tie her up in verbal knots very quickly and think I'd won the argument. Of course, I hadn't. I'd lost, probably. Um, but that was part of my insecurity. If you, you know, if you can just get the high ground, just be that slightly domineering, that covers up your insecurity. My Christianity used to be very legalistic. Things would go right if you did what you were supposed to do. If you had time with God then you would catch the bus on the way to work. That was my... Have time with God, or 24 hours later, your relationship might run out with him. And certainly, you never had sex on a Sunday. That's what I believed. I, if you want to know why I thought that, you can come and ask me another. 
But when I came into when I came into the estate, I don't believe that. Well, the funny thing is that years later, a couple came up to me and I gave a little kind of testimony. They come up to me and said, "Well, actually, Sunday was the only day we did have sex." <laughs> when I came into the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all this began to change. I had been in uh, hotel management, but God actually took took me out of hotel management when we adopted our first son and led me into social work. Um, but right at the end of that training, God actually took us out to Morocco with our four children on the hippie trail. There were four children, five and under. We were all piled into one VW van, and off we went. Uh, pioneer missionaries across the Bay of Biscay. I was sick for 36 hours, just about, going across the Bay of Biscay. I'm not quite sure how I managed to stagger off, because the, the Christian didn't drive then, so I managed somehow to stagger off. Um, so that was our kind of start and we joined a Christian mission working with Western, what were called Western alienated youth. I'm talking about the 70s here. And although the Lord clearly led us, that was one of the worst, worst experiences of our lives as a family. We were expected to live in community, doing the same things. There was no allowance for individual a family life. And the actions, my actions, drove my wife to despair because I failed to protect her and the children because I wanted to please the leader. Seeking male approval, that was very important to me. But in the midst of that, God was doing some amazing work in saving uh, young people. Now, God has healed both of us over the years, and it no longer has the hold that it used to have. Coming back into the UK, I started to work as a social worker in child protection and family work, and I'm still working in uh, that field today, although I only work two days a week now. I have been involved in two previous church plants, uh, and I've led a church for a while, and Similar to Pete, I had a burnout. No, actually, it was a breakdown uh, as a result of things not being in well in the church. And I thought I was dying. I literally had physical sensations in my body in a sense that something was going to happen. Um, I used to love TV detective stories. I couldn't watch them. Now, I've always been somebody who needed to be in control. I'm very detailed and particular by nature. This is not necessarily a bad thing, but when it becomes exaggerated, that's the problem in it. So here I was, out of control and very frightened. But actually, God reassured me, and he walked me through it. And he said, based on 1 Peter 5.10, after you've suffered a little while, God himself will restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And that's actually what he did. You know, I think God has a great sense of humor. He's called me into pastoral ministry when I'm not by nature... Well, I say this, Christine disagrees partly with me. I'm not sure I really am a people person, uh, but God has put me into a pastoral ministry. He opened the door just at the right time for me to get a professional qualification in counseling, and it closed thereafter. Just one of those things that God does. I am not necessarily by nature very empathetic. I'm much more of the bad Samaritan school, pull yourself together. Actually, I've learned over the years it doesn't quite work like that. <laughs> he also has me standing in front of people like this teaching. He has me praying out in meetings, church meetings, which still make me very nervous. Worst of all, I'm in a charismatic church. Life for introverts in a charismatic church in a sea of extroverts is particularly challenging. 
even more in the past when dancing used to be more prevalent. <laughs> Fortunately, that's dropped out now, so you can't... You know, it's not the same problem. But even, you know, even things like last, you know, one of the other Sundays, now find somebody to go and pray with and share communion with. What? <laughs> Do I really have to? Can I just sit here and be me and God? No, no, no. God gets you. God gets hold of you and moves you out. You know, above all, the age-old dilemma to hug or not to hug. <laughs> See, male, char- male Christian charismatic life can be assumed to be sport, blues, and rock and roll. Nothing about wine and classical music, or even country and western. See, I've learned that God is not a respecter of personality. And he moves you into the ministry that he has for you. So, you know, I I have to watch my natural default position. Grumpy old man. God is still working on my attitudes. Hence, I did apologize to my wife about telling her to shut up. But I just thought, oh God, (laughs) there's still so much more you need to do in me. You know, just recently, one of the things he's really been, you know, to bring you up to date, um, he's been talking to me about how self-centered I can be. You know, that I've learned to live out of an orphan heart, particularly when it suited me. Now, when I say an orphan heart, I don't mean I didn't have parents. It's not that. But somehow we can, we can just have orphan hearts. There's that sense of independence. I'm going to do it my way. You know, I'm not going to be at home in this or that or the other. God showed me recently actually how self-centered my heart has been when I live out of the orphan heart instead of living out of the heart of sonship. When we learn to live out of the heart of sonship, we become more God-centered. And this has come about because I've been reading Tim Keller's book called King's Cross. And it was also triggered by a friend of mine uh, who, you know, said, actually, you know, something was going on between us, and he said, that's your issue. That's not my issue. You need to sort that. And God then began to talk to me out of this book about being self-centered. And you know how it can be when God's doing things like that in you. The next thing is that every single message you seem to hear seems to be about being self-centered. So particularly on Sunday, it was touched on by two different preachers, uh, First one said, you know, we have to learn not to love out of a need. Now, how can I get what I want? Uh, And the second one said, nothing about, actually, it was nothing about relationships, but he said, selfishness wreaks havoc with relationships. We view others' actions through a selfish lens. You know, self-centeredness makes everything else a means to an end. The self-centered person... Uh, wants to be the center around which everything else orbits. And I could see, and God began to show me different things where I had done that. I had manipulated relationships because it was about getting my own way. It was about, you know, I'm much more subtle than the two-year-olds. Two-year-olds are very blatant, aren't they? You know they want their own way. But as adults, we're a little bit more subtle. And this friend said to me, you know, you're very subtle at getting what you want. And God said, he's right. Uh, you know, and put his finger on it. Uh, And I began to see how it has affected relationships in the family with my wife because of the times when I needed to be in control. I needed to have my needs met. 
not all the time, but enough that God's been talking to me about it. And I've begun to see how important it is to live out of a heart of sonship. Because when you do that, when Jesus is really at work in that kind of way within you, life is so much different and so much better and so much richer. And one of the things God said to me was, um, in the midst of this all, he said, you know, this is what sonship is about. It's about me talking to you. It's about me bringing these kind of little, well, not little, but bringing the correction, helping you to see something. This actually is what sonship's about. And that gave me a real sense of security, even though it's not comfortable at these kind of times. I just felt, you know, secure. Because the Trinity's different. The Trinity orbit around one another. The Trinity are always wanting to know what's best, what's going on for the other person. And that's something about what we need to learn. As I said, I have to watch my natural default position, grumpy old man. God is at work within me. I've learned he wants to bless the person I don't see eye to eye with. Oh, how could he? I, tr I trust that I'm allowing more grace to come in um, and more to go out. So I was listening to a preacher the other day who said, I, every day I sit down and I say, okay, God, what needs to go out of me so more can come into me? And I think there's a lot of truth in that. It's okay to be me with my imperfections because God loves me and God uses me and I'm grateful for that. I don't, allow my ex I don't need to allow my introvert nature to define me or to limit me. My aim is to be spirit-filled and a spirit-led introvert. Great. So we'll share another few stories. Um, I, hate, I hope you're hearing some of the story there. Um, it's amazing, again, even I think of Pete's story as well, that um, you know, he, it, he experienced abuse in an Anglican church and actually got saved a few years later in, in an Anglican church. He had to face his past fears and stuff. Um, again, um, we don't really come into the kingdom until we face some of these. You know, that we defy the lies that were set before us. We have to, as Chris said, you have to push through um, and trust that God has this for you. And, and you hear that in, again in these stories over and over again. God often says, go and do that and I'll be with you. You can do that. But do we trust him enough to go through that and realize he is the other side? I think the more we understand, to sh even tomorrow, as we share our stories and allow people to ask, why, why is that? And uh, open, actually lean into the question, the more we find, do you know what? I think you're right. We, we can gently challenge one another. You say that, but I don't, I don't see that in you. It, you're, that's what we're looking for tomorrow. Okay? But I hope you begin to see this amazing story that God is looking to change us and use us all the time. I just pray for us. And, um, Lord, I thank you, um, thank you for your story. I thank you you've been working this story out since creation. You did it in Adam and Eve. You've done it in David and Moses, in Ruth and Rebecca, in Sarah, in Saul, in Mary, and in my life, in Pete's life, and Chris's life, and in our lives. Lord Jesus, we thank you you're here. We thank you for this opportunity this weekend just to know more of you and to see you speak to us. Thank you you're already speaking. And Lord, I pray you just bless us tonight as we have quizzes and fun together.
be in our conversations, be in our fun, be in our, our times together, Lord Jesus. And Lord, I pray that as we have conversations, as we share our lives with one another, we realize you are greater and you are amazing. And we pray that we come out of this weekend realizing, actually, he is amazing. And he wants to use my life in an amazing way. So Lord, just remain with us. Give us good sleep. I pray for children to sleep. I pray for parents to sleep. I pray for others to go to bed. I pray that we have rest. I pray that we have a great breakfast tomorrow morning. And just bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have just listened to a Beacon Church recording. If you would like more information about us, our vision, the team, or upcoming events, please visit our website, which is beacon-church.org. You can email us at office at beacon-church.com or find us socially on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You are welcome to share this recording as you wish, but please do not make any edits without express consent. Thank you.